everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest coming live from the UK, a portable paradise, Roger Robinson, who won the 2019 T.S. Eliot Prize. He encouraged me to write the poems that I have been scared to write during that week of Obsidian. And I'm just excited to hear about his journey, excited to hear about how poetry has changed his life. Can you tell the people just a little bit about yourself? I'm a poet and musician. Um, a dad, a husband, I've written a couple of books, done a couple of albums, and um, that's it really, it's quite simple. Yeah. You know, people like, the mic comes on and people get really modest, like, you know, just a little bit. Yeah. No, seriously, that's, that's I'm, when thinking about that, I'm like, oh, that's what I've done. It's like, it's, it's not being modest, it's just like. I think I'm trying to think about things that I am constantly in practice. I do a lot of things, but those things I'm constantly in practice in. So I'm constantly in practice in poetry. I'm constantly in practice in music. I'm constantly being a father, a husband. So those are the things that I think that make me up. So it may sound modest, but it's actually things that I actually practice, like I take seriously. Yeah. We have to take our passion seriously because that allows us to connect with other people who are on our journey. And while you've been able to write and create music, you have also been honored to win certain prizes, also shortlisted for the Derek Walcott Prize Approach. Like those are big things to say, you know, you're doing it. So shout out for the process that allows you to do these creative things and then the rewards of being. It's, it's funny, you know, you say the prizes are big, big things, but I honestly don't i'm not being modest i honestly don't go around thinking about prices you know it seems like because I, I you just don't you know like i think prizes are something that other people see of you but i don't go around thinking you know like i like there's no point not obsidian say hey i'm roger robinson prize winner and it's not because i wouldn't it just i honestly don't think about it you know it's not a thought but i do think about is a process what i do think about is you know how i'm in practice you know, and you don't practice prizes, you know what I'm saying? So, so when somebody asks me, you know, to introduce myself, I think about, I am essentially my habits and the habits that I continue and the habits are making music, writing poetry, being a husband and being a father, you know. What was your toughest challenge being a Black British poet and how did you overcome it? I think the toughest thing is to continue practice with no encouragement. When I started, I don't think anybody thought I was particularly good or, or great or amazing. I just liked it and I enjoyed it. It was useful for me, but it was definitely a point where without encouragement, there were individual people who would come to me and, said, and say that was helpful. And I think that's what fed me and that continued me on, you know? I never used to get booked a lot. I never used to, in the beginning. I think some people, there are a few people who really recognized that I had some talent and helped me to support it. But there was no major encouragement. I, I never used to get paid from it. I never used to make money from it. And I think the thing about being an artist is can you continue your practice in the light of not having encouragement or not having economic remuneration for it or not even having anybody saying that you're particularly dope, but can you practice because you want to practice? And I, I think that's the hardest thing to do 
And I think I have anything I've won, I've won because I've continued without that. You know, so I'm 53. All some of the prizes you mentioned and are only in the past two years, but I've been practicing or three years. I've been practicing for 25 years. So for 22 years, there was nothing like that, you know, so. That just like spoke to like a lot of what we do because it, it is hard, especially like with social media, you get to see so many people's accomplishments that you don't really realize the time and the effort that it's put in to become these yeah. great writers, right? Musician. And, you know, we don't talk about, like you said, the 20 some years that you went out, but you grinded and you put into this practice. You also mentioned how poetry has helped you practice empathy. Can you please describe, you know, how poetry mm-hmm. has taught you that valuable lesson? Well, as I said, you know, during my my journey, I was able, always able to write something that could touch somebody. So when I did have a performance, people would come up to me afterwards and you could see they were clearly emotional. And I was like, wow. And, and they talk a lot about how it helped them. And, um, and I think the empathy was, I started to see empathy as a link there, but I also had a mentor who was explaining that poetry is all about empathy and that your, that empathy should be your mission in poetry. And it works how, this is how it works. If someone is reading about, so like in A Portable Paradise, I have a lot of poems about people who, who are not achieving paradise. So if you read about uh, someone whose family is getting burnt up in a building because the regulations weren't right, yeah? I, I could put through moment to moment response uh, images and trying to put things in a certain way that you can actually feel it, that you won't be sympathetic to it. You will feel it and you'll have empathy. So when you got in the world, hopefully you practice that empathy through reading poems and you practice that empathy. And with that empathy, when you get into the real world, just like therapy, hopefully you'll practice that empathy. You'll be put in a situation and like, okay, I know how to empathize here. In the body, it knows how it feels to empathize with someone. I know what to do. Because that's how therapy works. Therapy gives you strategies to practice in the private of a, of a therapist's room. And then when you get out, it's like, oh, this is one of these situations. I'm not going to go to my default. What I'm going to go to is what the therapist trained me to do. And poems are empathy machines in the same way. And in a, in a time where, you know, what's happening a lot, especially under the, under the whole idea of, you know, when Trump was your leader. Yeah, it's just like there was a lack of empathy. And then poetry could do a lot. If, if these people were reading about different people and understanding their lives, then you won't have the kind of ignorance that was constant, constantly displayed by Trump or his devotees. You know, not everyone, but, you know, the, the ones who were kind of active in their stupidity, you know. Think about people who don't have access to poetry or have access to therapy, you know, um, especially us as Black people all over the world. So where would you think that they can find a way to get in for poetry? You know, in truth, right, there's poetry in books. But I kind of see poetry in everyday people all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, like I was talking to somebody else the other day. When my mother starts speaking at a dinner table, 
Like nearly everything she says is poetry because she has a way of showing but not telling because she's not interested in telling it to you directly. So she's telling it to you in a kind of story and a moment that might be even related to the food. So the food becomes particular stop points within the kind of, uh, kind of moral that she's trying to get across. And this, to be honest, this is how black people are. You know what I'm saying? It's like black people, you know, they talk around things and that talking around things is a poetry. Like when your girlfriend coming to give you some gossip, she's not going to say, so-and-so step this one, this, that, no, they don't. She'll be like, girl, let me tell you. She's not telling you anything. What she's doing, she's trying to create a story and poetry in it. You know what I'm saying? She will have a flashback. Remember that girl, blah, 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 you know? So she'll have a flashback and then she'll kind of come forward and says that I always had a suspicion about her. She still hasn't told you what happened. What she's doing is she's trying to create uh, uh, how poetry moves, you know what I'm saying? To kind of create a poem, you know? So black people got poetry all the time. Like those, my, some of my favorite poets never studied poetry, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, like craft is a means to an end, you know? To my thing is, is it dope? You know, in European, in European, kind of context they were like yo the kind of formal the formal arrangement of it and the formality of it you know but you know my thing is like you could have all the formal arrangement in the world is it whack you know I, I, that's all i'm concerned with is it whack or is it dope you know what i'm saying it's just like and i mean i learned the formal arrangements because I, I was interested in it but the form kind of like the form feeds the content i know lots of poets i know lots of poets who just like you walk out in the street and you start talking to them and they'll be like yo they're like blue collar cats who are just working the bear poets than other poets who i've seen a lot of rappers are bear poets and than poets i've read you know it's like people like from LA, like raskas and um bronzeville car not not rappers on the on on in money-making scene, but people who take rappers at art form, they're much better than all the poets I read, especially like European male poets, you know? That is so true. Mm. There is so much beauty in our Blackness. There's so much poetry in our everyday life once we like just kind of be still enough to pay attention to it. We're just like so fast-paced thinking about ourselves that we don't really realize. And so thank you <laughs> for acknowledging that, that like we really have to just pay attention mm. to what's around us. And I, I get some kind of recognition now, but I've never been subservient to academia, book publishing, industry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm about people. Uh, is this connecting with people? Because if it doesn't connect with people, it doesn't matter. If the only people who are paying you for your books are people uh, at the university, then you're not speaking to anybody. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that universities aren't good. They're good, but think about what matters, you know? Oh, my own internal struggles, right? I'm just like literally having. Who are you subservient to, Isa? Who are you subservient to? Exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, how do I break these shackles? The easy answer to your question is: What is the most complex embodiment of yourself? You know, if you have knowledge of Liberia, knowledge of Puerto Rico, knowledge of um, different cultures, knowledge of academia, knowledge of all these things. You have to kind of make these things a gumbo so you could present the most complex embodiment of yourself. I think, you know, one of the worst things for poets is when they start dumbing down themselves, you know? Present yourself in the most complex way you can that embodies you. Okay, you, you want to interview me? I mean, we going to switch the mics. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, I know. And I'm, and I'm just grateful just to be able to participate in 
be in Obsidian because that week really allowed me to embrace all those. Like you said, I remember one day you were like, if you play clarinet or you were in the band, we right. should be able to know that if you dance. And it made me realize that I really tried to hide so much of myself that was like right. adaptable to certain audiences and people, which was not allowing to me my be my whole true self. So I can also admit that before Obsidian, I was not attracted to form or craft. But that's also because the people who I was introduced to didn't teach me about the beauty of how Black people tap into this poetry, how Black people speak, and right. how important hip-hop and movement music. And it was just like, okay, now that yeah, I'm in right. that community, now that I see myself being reflected and seeing so many of the poets, like you said, um, as you acknowledging your growth of being in a certain position and being able to deal with it and write about it. Like, I'm sure in the beginning when your son was first born, like to be able to sit and write about that had its challenges. And then now to be able to publish a book, something that he can feel represented in um, and be proud of you for and overcoming. I think that's that's something to say, thank God for. Oh, oh man, God's hand is completely in it the entire way with me. You know, it's like this book is a book of is, this book, a portable paradise, is the is a, is is God through me, yeah. It's trying to let me let people know that during trauma, prayer is an answer. Not to get too religious on you, but is that's real? Thinking about the power of how the power of prayer period but then putting that in poetry and that being able to manifest and that prayer as people read it that continuation that being able to like still heal and still move it's just like okay there's so much there's so much that we can do with prayer there's so much that we can do with poetry there's so much that we can do with our passion if we are true to that process you know a lot of people want me to leave that out you know what i'm saying it's just like because you know as soon as you bring anything that these with religion, it changes the um, tenor of a conversation. And religion excludes so many different people, you know? So, but I was just like, why should I leave it out? It's a part of me. So, so I, as I say, I answer to no one. You know what I'm saying? I answer to God, and I have no authority. Over. I don't have a literary body, a university. There's nobody in charge of my shit. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I, I do what I want and I do what I think is important in the world and I hope that it matters and that's it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so when, you know, when I leave out prices, I'm like, prices are cool. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, but I, I definitely don't do things for prices. That's that's not it, you know? In fact, I think I want prices the more I didn't care about prices. You know what I'm saying? It's like, because I'm not working towards those things. I'm working towards what matters, you know? Interpersonal communications and empathy. And the practice of radical vulnerability and that people can see a black man practicing vulnerability because black men for too long just been holding this stuff in, you know, and, and in these molds and it hasn't helped. It hasn't helped us in any way. In fact, it's caused us to continue slave retentions because we're not letting it out from generation to generation. And uh, it just don't make sense. I'm so here for radical vulnerability. I'm just like... Oh my gosh, yes, and thank you for your truth. I know you have a poem to share with us today. Yeah. This poem is the um, title poem from, from the book A Portable Paradise, and it's called A Portable Paradise. It's on page 81, if anybody got the book. <laughs> Coming like church now. <laughs> A Portable Paradise. And if I speak of paradise, then... I'm speaking of my grandmother who told me to carry it always on my person. 
conceal. So no one else would know but me. That way they can't steal it, she'd say. And if life puts you under pressure, trace its ridges in your pocket, smell its piney scent on your handkerchief, hum its anthem under your breath. And if your stresses are sustained and daily, get yourself to an empty room, be it hotel, hostel, or hovel. Find a lamp and empty your paradise onto a desk. Your white sands, your green hills, and fresh fish. Shine the lamp on it like the fresh hope of morning and keep staring at it till you sleep. You know, after we're talking like now, the notion of the prayer in our heads, it's just like the portal for paradise is also a prayer that you keep with this. A lot, a lot of this book is prayers. It's just, I snuck it in. Like I keep on sneaking it in. I keep on sneaking it in. You know what I'm saying? It's just like. That's beautiful. The whole idea of a portable paradise is just like, you know, this is something, there's a portable paradise you carry inside yourself, but the book itself, is a portable paradise, you know, and, and kind of like linking paradise to heaven, linking the Bible to being something portable, you know. Now I got to read it with a different eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because at first gotta... I was just like looking for other, I was like, okay, the people and realizing their pain and how they, they're like that's, being that's, able that's to. There too. That's there too. That's it. It's there it's too. There. Yeah. It's yeah. layers. It's layers. That's the thing about a book. A book is a field which you can pull philosophy, religion, information, sociology, your observations, your family history. Like that's it. That's the purpose of the book. Book is a field of energy that you can pull all these things into. You know. And I receive this energy, this prayer, this purpose, the paradigm, good. all of the good things. Good, to good, good. Me on my way, Roger. How are you on your way? How am I on my way? You know what? I, um, there's a lot of death and destruction in the world, but what's happened with me is that I am full of gratitude for the things I do have. And I, I feel the pain and sorrow of others. And I'm trying my best to see how I could contribute to alleviate their pain while acknowledging that, you know, good things are continually happening for me, even in this bad time, you know, and God is responsible and he's in control. I have a beautiful family. Um, I have a lovely house. I do what I want to do every single day. I get to connect with art every single day. You know, I have no complaints about my life at all, like whatsoever, you know. And even I'm locked down. Right now we locked down, you know. I'm locked down. But at the end of the day, I could still play with my son, you know, build Lego. And, you know, I'm using this time to spend time with him, you know. Because, you know, I might not have this kind of time again. You know, I mean, everything comes back up and I have to fly here and do this and be here and be there. What a chance to kind of slow down and spend some time with the son where he, where his memory of the lockdown is that I spent a lot of time with my dad having fun. That's how I'm on my way. And I'm also down with this crew called, you may know them, but it's really important for black people called Nat Ministry. It's not a crew, it's one woman, Trisha Hussey. So Nat Ministry talks about the idea of rest as a means of resistance that black people have been sold the idea that we have to grind that we are machines and this has its roots in slavery it's a slavery retention where the maximum amount of 
value from the black body has to be extracted with very little time for rumination or imagination. We have to break this, yeah? Especially black people, side culture, hustle culture, grind culture, we are not machines. We need to rest. We need to rest to process years and years of trauma and ongoing trauma that continues. There's no way that we're gonna have any disruptive imagination unless we get some rest to process trauma. Because we're not getting anywhere sometimes because we think, oh, why can't I do it? Why can't I? Because we're not processing trauma on any level. And significant traumas are happening to us all the time. Everybody check them out in that ministry, Trisha Hersey. Trying to incorporate rest to be able to embody gratitude because last year was just filled with so much burden and so much pressure and definitely, definitely be able to realize that will allow more abundance to continue to flow into your life, into the lives that you're connected with and to all of us that realize that, you know, we got breath in our bodies. We're able to, like you said, read some great poetry, have great communication with some beautiful people in the world. So um, may God continue to bless you to be a light. Thank to be you. Bold. Thank yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Tell the people where You're can welcome. they connect with you? Where can they buy your book, support your music, all that fun stuff? Uh, Roger Robinson, online.com. So you'll find you'll find anything you need to find there. Like it will redistribute you to where you need to be. Make sure you guys show him love. Thank you so much, Roger, for everything. Oh, thank you for having me, man. Uh, and good luck with your writing. You know, you you are considerable talent for what I see. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. To all our wonderful listeners, wherever you are out there, continue to just trust your process. Continue to make time for your rest and gratitude and realize that sometimes a prayer is the answer to write a poem. Good summing up. I like that. Hey. <laughs> you just wait. Until next time, y'all be blessed. All right. Take it easy. Yeah.